Hello and welcome to the She Research Podcast. I'm your host, Kate McKay, and today I'm joined by Wendy Lipworth. Hello, Wendy. Hi, Kate. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Good. So today we're talking about Wendy's co-authored paper. The paper is called, Are My Religious Beliefs Anyone's Business? A Framework for Declarations in Health and Biomedicine. And this is published in the Journal of Medical Ethics and co-authored with Narcisse Ginea, Miriam Wiersma, and Ian Carriage. Is that right? That's correct. I got yeah. all the details right. Yes. Okay, so Wendy, I wonder if you can give us the elevator pitch of this paper. Yeah, sure. Um, just to make it clear, Narcissus is the first author of this oh. paper. I was the last slash senior supervisor, or whatever <laughs> you want to call it. So he really did most of the work. But this, um, as we'll talk about later, this is part of a bigger project of work, a bigger program that we can talk about. Mm -hmm. So um, this paper, as the title suggests, asks the question of whether and when people in healthcare roles and in biomedical research roles should have to declare that they have particular religious beliefs that could shape their um, attitudes, their behaviours, um, that are relevant to patient care or to the research that they might do or the policies that they might espouse and so on. Mm -hmm. um, it's such an interesting topic. And so this paper is related to a kind of overall project that you have going on about conflicts of interest in health and biomedicine, right? Yeah, yeah. So in this, in this case, the religious beliefs are a kind of conflict of interest? Well, we're arguing that they are, mm. um, or at least that they're related to the problem of conflict of interest. Mm -hmm. So I've been looking at conflict of interest for a long time now. I've had a few big grants to look at mostly financial conflicts of interest. But in doing that, I've become increasingly interested in the issue of so-called non-financial conflicts of interest, which are interests or conflicts of interest that stem from things like religious beliefs, personal relationships, personal ambitions, mm -hmm. even some would argue intellectual commitments to particular hypotheses and so on. So mm -hmm. kind of all the things that motivate and drive people that don't necessarily have anything to do with money. Mm -hmm. So that's where the interest in religious beliefs comes from and how it fits into that bigger picture. Interesting. Yeah. So I guess I want to know what's motivated this particular project I guess overall yeah so I mean I've, I've been interested in conflict of interest for a really long time just because I think it's an endlessly fascinating topic mm -hmm. precisely because it's not new and it just doesn't go away it's like a perennial problem that sits at the intersection of bioethics professional ethics organizational ethics mm -hmm. it's psychologically I find it fascinating both in terms of the phenomenon itself and also the way people respond to it the way people are so reluctant to sometimes to admit that they have conflicts of interest mm -hmm. or to realize that that's just a normal part of life and not necessarily a bad thing so that's my broad interest in conflict of interest um, the non-financial side of it was really triggered by a few things I guess um, you know it was just it was realizing as I was focusing primarily on financial conflict of interest that I obviously just wasn't covering the whole territory of the kinds of things that motivate people mm -hmm. there's also been some movement in health and biomedicine to start asking people to declare and manage non-financial conflicts of interest mm -hmm. so some journals now say you know don't just tell us about the money that you get from drug companies or business interests that you might have but tell us about any interests financial or non-financial and there's been some pushback against that mm. 
And so I got interested in the arguments that were being made against these declarations mm. and started to look with, with my colleagues who are the co-authors of this paper, we started to look systematically at the kinds of arguments that were being made. We've written a couple of papers even before this one that kind of refute some of those arguments. So I can go through those if, you, if you'd like me to. Sure, I'd love to hear. So, I mean, in a nutshell, the people who think we shouldn't declare and manage these interests alongside other financial interests, uh, they make a number of arguments. They say that it's not really necessary because although people are affected by non-financial biases, those biases send them in so many different directions that they kind of cancel each other out in the long run. So you don't necessarily have to know about them the way you'd have to know about someone's financial interests. Um, they also argue that it's just too big an area and it's too messy and people don't know how to manage it so they end up declaring all sorts of meaningless and ridiculous things mm. um, and then it muddies the water which leads to another concern which is that if we pay attention to these other interests and conflicts of interest we'll stop paying attention to the financial ones mm. or and people might even say oh well I don't have to worry about my financial ones because we're all conflicted all the time so that's one of the the fears that people will just play down everything. Mm -hmm. And then there are also concerns about the ethics of asking people to declare these interests because unlike, say, taking money from a drug company or entering into a business arrangement, you don't necessarily choose what you believe or, mm. or whether a, you or a family member has an illness or um, whether you are driven by status and, you know, and in some ways also the argument is, well, we can just assume that these things are true of most people. Anyway, so there are a number of intersecting arguments, mm -hmm. and Nasser's Ian, Miriam, and I have sort of tried to take each of those apart and counter each of those step mm -hmm. by step. Mm -hmm. um, and so our argument is that, yes, it's true that they send you in many directions, but there are also some that are very predictable, mm -hmm. and even if they do send you in different directions, it's still worth knowing about. Mm -hmm. um, we take the point about it muddying the waters and diverting attention away from financial interests, but we don't think it has to do that. In mm -hmm. fact, it could bring greater attention to the whole problem. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of, I, don't, I can't remember if I mentioned this, but the other concern is that it's a breach of people's privacy um, mm. and can lead to discrimination if they are then excluded from things on the basis of these very personal attributes often mm -hmm. um our argument is yes that could happen but it doesn't have to happen there are lots of ways of managing conflicts of interest that are better or worse than others so um yeah so that's kind of where we're sitting at the moment is we don't think that those arguments hold water we think that there is a case for declaring and managing these interests as interests which can be the basis of conflict of interest mm -hmm. um, and that's what motivated us to engage with this specific debate about declaring religious beliefs mm -hmm. yeah and i guess i wanted to clarify for this when we're thinking about conflicts of interest um is this specifically kind of in the research space or is this also in the treatment both yeah. So anywhere really, it could be okay. in research, it could be in treatment, it could be in policy making, it could be in publishing, mm. anywhere where people have 
decision-making power or making arguments that could have influence, mm -hmm. we would argue that you want to know where they're coming from and what might be driving them. Yeah. Some people would say that that's important, but it's got nothing to do with conflict of interest. We should deal with those things, but under a different heading. Mm. Um, our argument is, well, why? If mm -hmm. there are interests or if, if they're at the base of interests and if those interests can conflict, then they are conflicts of interest. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Because also I was thinking in the treatment realm, I could imagine religious beliefs perhaps being more important if it's impacting treatment decisions or the way that you approach different treatment options, for example, than maybe it would be if you were publishing a paper. Yeah. You know, I wonder if these maybe have times of being more relevant or more in conflict than at other times. Definitely. And I think one of the points we tried to make in this paper and that I we're trying to now develop further is that it's not an all or nothing proposition and mm. one of the problems with the debates so far about this issue is that people seem to assume that you either ignore non-financial interests and conflicts of interest or you have this complete mad rush to declare everything all the time <laughs> and what we're trying to tease out both in this paper and in later work is really under what circumstances do these really matter mm -hmm. and where is it most important and some of the principles are articulated in this paper where we say for example it's much more important that these things are declared and out in the open where people have an enormous amount of power where mm -hmm. that power isn't necessarily being overseen by anybody their arguments aren't open to scrutiny so that might be in the privacy of a consultation room mm -hmm. or it might be someone sitting on a committee who um, can vote without having to explain or justify why they decided to vote in a particular way. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, a journal article, you could argue, well, that's both a very public declaration, which is asking a lot of people if it's a personal matter, mm -hmm. and it's also a situation in which their arguments are or should at least be open to scrutiny. Mm -hmm. um, so you wouldn't expect as much of people. I wouldn't expect someone to say, I have a child with epilepsy, on a journal article, mm -hmm. but if they were on a decision-making committee about whether an epilepsy drug should be funded, then I think maybe they should. Mm -hmm. um, so relevance and, and context are extremely important mm -hmm. in this, and it's almost meaningless to talk about it as an either-or Right, that makes position. sense. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. It's funny because I guess I'm used to thinking about it in black and white terms. Yeah, and one of the really interesting things about this is when you start to think about the boundaries and limitations of declaration and management of non-financial conflict of interest, you start to realize that those same questions could apply to financial conflicts of interest. So interesting questions start to emerge about, well, if we're so careful about non-financial, why shouldn't we be equally careful about financial? I think one of the arguments is that financial interests are generally not as personal people do have a choice. So the onus on them to declare and manage these interests is greater mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, because you're not asking as much of them. I mean, although some people consider income to be a private matter, I would say once you're a doctor or a researcher or a policymaker, it's really who could be affected by your financial interests. It's no longer a, a private matter. Mm. People do have a right to know. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. um, so, but it does lead you to sort of wonder why we draw this line between money and not money and why yeah. we're so much more careful about some things than others. Yeah, definitely. So I guess just because we're um, 
coming close to the end of our time. I wonder if there's a kind of particular takeaway message that you hope that people glean, either from this paper or perhaps mm. from the project as a whole. What are you aiming for? I think both from this paper and for the project as a whole, the point I've already made, but I'd like to reiterate, is that I think the devil is in the detail <laughs> sort of thing. So to just completely uh, exclude non-financial interests from declarations and management is not the way to go, mm. but neither is a um, no-holds-barred approach where you don't give anybody any guidance and you just sort of hand wave and say you also need to declare non-financial interests. You really need to give people guidance. You need to think very hard about the context in which these requests are being made so that you can work out to what extent they're actually justified. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. It sounds like a really sticky program of work. <laughs> That's fun. Well, thanks so much for speaking with me today, Wendy. It's been really good. It's been great. Thank you. You're welcome. And yeah, I'll post, uh, I'll link this paper in the episode notes. Um, and for anyone who's interested, you can uh, check out the paper and check out the other papers related to this that Wendy and her team have been working on. Thanks so much for listening to the She Research Podcast. You can find us on a variety of platforms, including Spotify, Anchor, and iTunes, and wherever else you find your podcasts of quality. Thanks for listening. Bye.